So, believing in Jesus ruins it, you know. I mean, back in the day, before Jesus, before we really understood what it means to live in God, life was easy, right? I mean, we could pretty much do whatever it is that we wanted without any sense of guilt about what we did. We could live kind of fast and loose with our life without worrying about any of the consequences. It was like this ignorant bliss of living an empty life or something. I envision it to be like, you know, a a child who is playing out in a back alley of his house because he's completely unaware that there is a beautiful ocean out the front door, and instead of playing with rocks in an alley, he could be building sandcastles on a beach or something. I mean, we, we lived in ignorance about the kind of life that we could have in God because there was a time when we didn't know any better. However, the problem is, now, it's different. Now, as most of us, I think, are attempting to do, that when we make a commitment to live in Jesus, all of a sudden, you become enlightened. You know what's right and what's wrong. You know the way God wants you to live. So now, if you choose to go back to doing the things that you did before, you're not ignorant anymore to the point that now can't really enjoy it. Because now you know it's the wrong way to live. It's just not as fun. Because now you see how empty and meaningless is that life. So there's a tension that exists inside of us where we try hard to live in both worlds. We have one foot in a world of God where we desperately want to have a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ and a faith that is strong. But yet, we, we keep a, a foot over in this other world because we don't really want to give up any of the stuff of this world. So how do we come to grips with that? How do we reconcile that? Our passage this morning in James is out of chapter 4 and says, Don't you know that friendship with the world means that you are opposing God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So therefore, submit yourselves to God then. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. If I were to sum this whole thing up, you know, in just one simple way, it would be this. We will never ever experience the true beauty of this life until we learn that there is no better life that is out there than the life that I have when I'm in God. Well, good morning, y'all. It's uh, good to be back with you. I actually missed you people. It's been so long. Um, 
as you uh, maybe saw from the videos that we sent back, uh, we had an amazing experience uh, on the uh, missions trip. And for those of you who don't know, uh, we've really made it uh, part of the strategic vision in the outreach strategy for Westridge that we're taking on intentional community development in a little northern region in uh, Nicaragua. And so we just had a couple of uh, missions teams from Westridge that were over there working. Um, and we basically went into the middle of nowhere, Nicaragua, to a little place called Tecaloste, which is basically a little village of about 150 people that is at the end of a five-mile stretch of dirt road, and it is the worst dirt road you've ever been on in your life. And um, But it's kind of like the land that time forgot or something. I mean, it's just uh, amazing, um, this little place. And so we took on... Uh, the school was just in a, in a terrible state of disrepair, and um, um, the, so we just took on renovating the existing structure of the school and building a new addition where we added on a kitchen, a computer lab, uh, new bathrooms, uh, redid the swing sets, fence, the, the whole nine yards, and um, it was this, you know, it was a pretty huge project, and these two teams, I just have to say, you should be very proud. You know, every now and then on a missions trip like this, you get a prima donna or two, you know, doesn't want to get their hands dirty. Uh, man, everybody without exception was like just down in the dirt working their rear ends off. And, uh, man, we, we just had a huge impact and, and everybody worked hard and it was, it was incredible. Now, now when you're the guy that, um, doesn't know anything about construction and doesn't know how to swing a hammer and you have to remember that the only toolbox that's in my house is the one that my wife owns, um, then you become the guy that they hand a shovel to because you can't do anything else and they say, here, go dig. So I have to say after two weeks of digging in the dirt and uh, mixing concrete by uh, hand with a shovel, I was absolutely ready to get back to my posh little office and my little easy job on Monday morning because I was sore everywhere um, after two weeks of that. And um, there, there was this uh, moment early on where I felt like I was really like rocking it. Like, I, you know how sometimes, because I, I don't do that ever. I don't manual labor. I don't ever do. And and so, like, I felt like a real man at one point, you know, because I was, I had uh, the job given to me of, of hauling these cinder blocks. I mean, look at that. Look at the strength of that man. <laughs> I mean, I'm in awe of it just, you know, right now, just watching it. So I was feeling real good about myself, feeling great about the whole thing until this woman shows up. And she's like, flinging, she's like flinging these things like it's styrofoam or something. It's like, and then, you know, I started feeling, you know, she and I kind of got into sync and I was feeling better about myself. And then she shows up and it's like this little 14 year old girl is doing the same things. And so I come before you a much humbler man than um, when I left, just uh, just to be sure. Um, but the thing that I was the, uh, the most proud of uh, on the trip was the way that the community of people of Tecaloste and the community of people of Westridge worked together. That synergy was absolutely incredible to watch. Um, even though there was a language barrier, just the mutual uh, respect and love for one another was really cool. And 
I couldn't have been more proud of the people of Westridge who just really took the words of Jesus literally and just, you know, lowered themselves um, below the least of these and um, really just um, um, honored these people in an incredible way, and it was awesome. My, my favorite moment, however, came, um, I, I'm always one of those guys that likes any excuse to celebrate something because there's so few things in life to celebrate. So uh, we, at the end of each work trip, we throw a party or a fiesta, and it was really in the middle of nowhere at the school that we were working at, and we brought in a live band from one of the major towns, and they come you know, with their van and all their equipment down this five-mile stretch of the worst dirt road you could ever imagine, and it's amazing that they actually even showed up. But we had you know, tents and food and drinks and ice cream for the kids. It was like this incredible thing. And so at the, at the very last day, I just got up and I gave a little speech, and I just said, look... You know, I, I, we, we've, we've done this work for you. This is our gift for you. However, I do require something in return. And, of course, everybody's going, oh, crap, what's this? You know, there's like a catch, obviously. And I said, there's just one thing that I'm going to ask. And, and I would just like if all of us could just come out together and just do one dance together. And so there was this beautiful moment, and it looked something like this. I mean, this is like, you know, on the dirt, in the school, it's, uh, it's amazing, you know, here comes Oscar, look at those moves, he's, he's got going on, yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome. Now what, now, what you didn't see was, you know, I'm the guy shooting the video, so unfortunately what you didn't see is I was busting some serious moves out there, <laughs> and the people of Nicaragua were in awe because they've never seen anything quite like my moves. Uh, but no, it was it was a it was a blast and a beautiful experience. And thank you for your uh, support and love because it was an incredible time and you were well represented down there. Um, so while we were all together in Nicaragua, we were you know we called it Westridge South, and um, we were holding Westridge. We even put candles kind of around the beach table and stuff. And um, we were following along with all of you in the Book of James. And having some pretty good discussions about it. And, you know, one of the things that really came out from these discussions at the time meeting together was this idea of what, you know, if there's one thing that James is trying to teach us about life, what's the one thing that sums it up? And it's really this word faith. And I was going to say, but he takes the faith to a different dimension. But really, I think what James does is really clarify what faith really is. And it's different than what a lot of us uh, think it is, but it's building a faith that is is real. It's not a flash in the pan. It's not a quick fix. It's a faith that's more of a. It's 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 more than a Sunday morning thing. It's more than a quick prayer uh, before dinner thing. It's a faith that is rooted in a deep relationship with God, and it changes everything. And, and it's a faith that becomes sustainable so that it can stand the test of time no matter what it is that comes our way. And I would say that while most of us, I think that we're here because we have a sincere desire to live in God, but there exists this disconnect between who we want to be and who we really are versus and and. and how we want to see our life lived out versus how it's really being lived out, if, if you know what I'm saying. And unfortunately, we will never find true 
joy in our life until we stop dabbling around in this world, really. And until we start really taking on and living fully a faith that completely changes who we are and how we spend our days. And if I were to go back to what I believe is the thesis statement for the book of James, and and Greg talked about this passage a few weeks ago, but I just want to go back into chapter 2 where James says, look, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe in God? Great. The problem is that even the demons in hell believe in God and fear him. You foolish person, don't you know, faith without deeds is useless. So I think that the point that he's trying to make, and it's a pretty hard-hitting passage, is that faith is bigger than just belief. Right? I mean, James makes it very clear that if you say that you're a Christian, it has to be something more than just saying you're a Christian because you believe in God, which just makes you not an atheist doesn't make you a Christian. Even the demons in hell believe that there's a God and fear God. So what is it that distinguishes us against somebody who is, say, an agnostic, who believes in God but just doesn't give a rip? So what is required of us to have a faith that is real and authentic? And I think the answer lies in this very simple verse that I read first, which is the verse out of chapter 4, these verses, which says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Now, if I were going to sum up the Christian life, that's pretty much it, right? I mean, submit your will to God. Live in God's will, not in your own will. Resist the devil. Stop doing the stupid crap that we do all the time. And if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. So if you stop doing evil, evil stops in your life as far as your participation anyway. And then come near to God and he'll come near to you. Boom. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? Pretty simple recipe. And I think what he's saying is this. If, if you've committed your life to Jesus, then... We've got to create some new priorities. We've got to rearrange the way that we live. There has to be a shift from us constantly pursuing the stuff of this world, all the passions and dreams and junk of this world, and transition to really believe in our hearts that the stuff that we want is the stuff that's going to last beyond the grave, which is the stuff of God. I don't want to speak for you, but I know for me, before Jesus, I lived a pretty self-absorbed life. Now, I still have a tendency to go that way, but by the grace of God, it's becoming less and less. And, you know, I really believe like the whole world revolved around me. I wanted to be in control. It was my domain, and, you know, this is the way that I wanted to live. But what James is suggesting is that if we are now to fully live in God, to have a faith that is authentic, to have a relationship with God that is required of us, then we need to have a faith that's bigger than just believing in God because just having a belief in God is not enough and it's not faith. 
There is an action that is required of us. That it is the idea that as we grow as a Christian, there is a dying process that occurs. And it's not a physical death. But it's this idea that the more we grow in Jesus, the more our old self continues to die off. And the more of our new self that we become and it emerges... And there is this battle at some point between these two worlds, our two wills, almost like, you know, the angel and the demon sitting on your shoulder, you know what I'm saying? And, and they're going to throw them in a cage and see who's going to win, and only one's going to emerge victorious because there's only room for one of us in this body. But it's the idea that eventually, no matter what, we're either going to live for Jesus or we're not. There's not room enough. There's not the ability to just kind of live for Jesus. And so we've got to kill off the old self and get it dead, buried, and out of the way so that Jesus is able to come in and take control so that he can help us to become the person that we are created to become. One of the things that I was the the most proud of uh, with the group that went down was the way that they were with the people of the community of Tekeloste. And I think this is the idea of where authentic faith comes in because there was, um, you know, these are the poorest of the poor. These really are the least of these. And the people of Tekeloste started uh, to do work before we even got down there, so they kind of developed a rhythm. They were um, doing things the way that they knew how. And when our group came in, you know, typically a bunch of Americans can come in and say, hey, let me show you the way it's done. Let me show you the way you need to do this. And nobody did that. Like everybody came in and completely submitted um, to the will of the people of Tecaloste and just came in and said, we're a member of your team. Tell us what to do. And so instead of us coming in and leading the project, we allowed them to lead, which was the most honoring and respectful thing that you could ever imagine. And the whole idea is, and I think it gets back to when Jesus is talking about the least of these, you know, we tend to think about, okay, we're people of wealth, they're people of not, so they're kind of down here, they're living in a shack, they have no money, we're kind of up here, we're people of opportunity, we have a good job, we're educated, and you kind of look at that. So then you go, okay, well really what needs to happen is that everybody needs to become equal, right? And so now we need to be on the same page. That's not what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches that we actually go below the least of these, and that we submit ourselves below the least of these and put them on our backs and raise them up, right? I mean, that's really what Jesus is talking about in terms of honoring and respecting those who are impoverished and, and those who are hungry and need to be fed and those who are thirsty and need a drink, that we come up under them and help them, not that we're here above them and lifting them up or that we're even here and helping, but that we put them on our backs and we lift them up because we're willing to be, have that kind of humility. And that's the kind of humility and authenticity of faith that I think that Jesus is talking about. So it was, you know, so the whole thing was like this incredible experience, but I wanted you to take one last uh, look at how Westridge has made a difference in one of the poorest countries uh, in the world.
Do you have any idea how long it took those kids to learn how to say Westridge? That is not easy. Uh, you know, but I think that that's what um, authentic faith looks like, where there's the deeds that matches the faith, where there's, you know, we can, we can talk about our faith all, all day long, but it really comes in the way that we act and the way that we live versus what we say. And it doesn't matter whether it's in a third world country or whether it's across um, the road at Huff Elementary or it's, you know, across the street with your neighbor. Like, we are bringing the light of Jesus to dark places, and that's kind of our job, and that's what we're trying to do, where we're walking in humility in what, you know, and submitting to what Jesus asks us uh, to do. You know, I really, I truly believe this, that, you know, when we, when we come to the end of our lives, we will not regret that we didn't make more money only that we didn't give enough of it away. We will not regret having not lived in a bigger home in the right neighborhood, only that we loved too little. We won't regret that we didn't put in more hours at work, only that we didn't give enough of ourselves to serve other people. We won't regret that we weren't as successful as we wanted to be in this life, only that we didn't use our gifts to give back. And the thing that scares me most about my own death is dying with regret. As I look at the many areas of my life, I see a lot of things that I have continued to hold back from Jesus. A lot of things that I've held on to tightly and not given control over to him. And I have to say that, as much as I hate to say it, I have not surrendered all of my life over to Jesus. But I have to tell you that I am committed to it. I'm striving for it. Every time I screw up, I get a little closer to it. Every time I get a taste of what it's like to really live purely in God, I get a stronger desire for it. But it is a lifelong process where I give up one more little issue, one more piece of my anxiety, one more piece of my insecurity, one more piece of my ego, one more aspect of my life until I finally dumped it all at the foot of Jesus and said, here, here it is, that's it. I got nothing more, I surrender all. I love the simplicity of verse 8 when it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. You know, all the time I hear people say, you know, where's God? Has God abandoned me? Or I'm not feeling God. Is it because God has abandoned you? Or because you've abandoned God? Because we have this promise that if you come near to God, God will come close to you. But 
God is not going to come in and make you be something. He's waiting for you to come to him. He's waiting for you to draw close. And when we do, when we finally get that closeness, all of the junk that we carry, all of the stress that weighs us down, all of the anxiety and insecurities that seem so insurmountable, all of a sudden, it's not a big deal. Because the closer that you live to God, the smaller everything else becomes and the more beautiful life is. Don't waste another moment of your life chasing the wrong stuff. Because the day will come when all of that stuff has no meaning. I feel it inside of me. Like I feel like, you know, I'm beyond the halftime, that I'm really in the fourth quarter. And the more that I understand that and the older I get, the more I crave fulfillment and purpose and mission in my life. And there is this growing awareness inside of me that the stuff of this world cannot satisfy me. No matter how much I make, no matter how powerful I become, no matter how successful I am in the eyes of the world, that none of that matters. That in the quiet moments, when the breeze is blowing and the sun is setting, when I am the most fulfilled, I know. It's because I have dumped it all at the foot of the cross and said, I got nothing more. I surrender all. And I am living fully 